Welcome to Diaspo. My name is Laura and I'm here with my husband, Henry. Hi. Today we are recording our first podcast episode and Henry is going to be our very first guest. He's going to tell us about himself. Um, And to start, Henry is from Cameroon. He is a risk management professional who's currently working at Wells Fargo and he's a graduate of the University of Yaoundé in Cameroon the University of the Western Cape in Cape Town, South Africa, and George Washington University, where um, at all three institutions, he studies law. Welcome, Henry. Thank you. To start, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, growing up in Cameroon? I grew up in a small village in Cameroon called Bamingi. I was born there, and uh, I went to primary school there. And when I was about 14, I left the village to go to another small or maybe bigger village where I could go to high school or middle school, one would say in the U.S. And uh, after graduating from there, I went to high school to a different town. And after graduating from high school, I went to the University of Yaoundé, where I studied law. And uh, after my first degree at the University of Yaoundé, I moved to uh, South Africa. So um, what led you on the path of law and South Africa? Uh, That's a good question because uh, I always wanted to be a diplomat. And uh, uh, as I was doing some research or I would say asking questions, I realized that the best way to be a diplomat would be to study law, do international negotiations and, uh, you know, being able to travel from countries to countries. That's uh, basically the first and main reason why I chose to be a lawyer. Okay. So after you graduated from the University of Yaoundé, what made you decide to go to South Africa? Uh, I was looking for a better life, for better opportunities. Uh, for myself and my family. Uh, I was the first uh, law graduate from my parents and uh, it wasn't easy to find a job. I remember doing some call box. Call box in Cameroon, it's uh, it's like a phone booth where uh, you have multiple phones and you allow people to call and to give you money. Yeah. So I did that for about five months. And during that time, I was traveling around the country to meet with my family members, uncles, aunt, and cousins to ask for their support so they could support my plan to travel and go look for a better life. Uh, actually, South Africa was not my first choice, <laughs> I should say. What <laughs> uh, was your first choice? I had multiple choices, but South Africa was not one of them. I went to a workshop at the UK embassy in Cameroon where they were giving information about how to travel and study in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, I reached out to the presenter at the end of the presentation and asked him about the cost of education in the UK and uh, how it would be easier for me to get there. He advised me that, no, actually, you cannot because uh, it's very expensive and based on what you've told me, uh, it won't be easy for you to find a scholarship. Mm-hmm. So if scholarship is the only option, you won't be able to get a visa or to get a, to be admitted to a university in the UK. Mm-hmm. But he also said that, hey, uh, I also have information about studying in South Africa. Uh, we have a small firm or a consulting firm mm-hmm. where they give you information about studying in South Africa, scholarships and things like that. If you have time, please stop by our office and we'll give you some information. That's how I found a way and uh, that's how I ended up in South <laughs> Africa. It's a whole story behind that, but yeah. Yeah. So how long were you in South Africa? Uh, I moved to South Africa in 
January 20, 2009, mm -hmm. uh, I got a visa to study English there. And as I was studying English, I decided to go for a master's degree mm -hmm. at the university, the cheapest I could find. And uh, that's how I moved to Cape Town to study with the right. University of Western Cape. So did you know any English? No. <laughs> I didn't know English, but I, you know, in Cameroon, Cameroon is a bilingual country, uh -huh. and uh, you have to uh, to study English in school. And uh, one reason why I had some basic in English was basically from having to study that course when I was in high school. But uh, my English was not good enough to take courses at the university level. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's how I, I, I studied English for six months. In Port Elizabeth in South Africa, and then I moved to Cape Town to start university. Mm. So it sounds like moving abroad hadn't always been a plan. It just happened organically due to circumstances. Is that how it was? Yes, yes. Uh, actually, where I grew up, moving abroad was not an option because, you know, I could not afford that. But uh, it just happened to be one thing that I had to look into because staying in Cameroon wouldn't have been easier and uh, I wouldn't be where I am today if I stayed there I would be somewhere maybe uh, in a farm working because <laughs> you grew up on a farm because I grew up in a farm <laughs> yeah so when you were in South Africa getting your master's were you planning on staying in South Africa or did you just spontaneously you know decide I'm going to the U.S. Uh, I plan to stay and stay in South Africa again you know how uh, when you're an immigrant, things one thing lead to another, and uh, the decisions would mainly depend on how uh, you become successful and how you are able to support your family. I come from a collective society where uh, uh, when you have the opportunities, you have to share with everybody else. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so in South Africa, as I was working on my master's of law, I mean, at the end of my master's, I got an internship uh, with the South African Human Rights Commission. Mm -hmm. And uh, I worked there for eight months. And as I was working there, I should also say that I got admitted into an, a, a PhD program uh, in, with, South in South Africa. Mm. And I got some uh, money to, to do that PhD. I was looking for an opportunity to, to go overseas and do some research and come back as part of my PhD. Mm -hmm. That's why I started looking for universities around the world where uh, I could uh, have a, uh, a mentor in international trade law. And one, the one that I found who was available to support me or to uh, be my mentor was at the University of Iowa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I got an invitation to come to the University of Iowa as a visiting scholar. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So you were doing a PhD in international trade law? Yes. My PhD research was international trade of natural resources and the impact on human rights and environment. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's quite a big title. It is a big title. And uh, the goal was to show how uh, we needed uh, an international agreement on the trade of natural resources because mm -hmm. we don't have one. Mm -hmm. um, we also needed one that took into consideration the fact that exploiting resources in developing countries also impact on human rights mm -hmm. and the environment. 
we needed an agreement in place that take into consideration all of those factors and that also regulate the trade of natural resources between countries. So that's quite an accomplishment there. It, it is, but I didn't finish the program. <laughs> but you didn't finish it for a good reason. What was that reason? Uh, you know, uh, I should say that you know, when you are African or immigrant, yeah, uh, you always think that the more education you get, the better the chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had gotten a job after my degree in Cameroon, I wouldn't have traveled to South Africa. Mm-hmm. If I had gotten a better job after my master's in South Africa, I wouldn't have gone. I w- wouldn't have signed up for a PhD. Mm-hmm. And when I signed up for a PhD, I was doing it. I was happy doing it. But the hope was that one day I would be able to get a better job somewhere. And uh, when I arrived here in the U.S., I realized that hey, you don't actually need a PhD. Mm-hmm. You just need to show that you can do whatever you can want, and that, I mean whatever you put your head on, and that you know. Uh, you show people that I can do this mm-hmm. and uh, I applied for a job at the World Bank I got the job I moved to Washington DC I was still working my PhD mm-hmm. but when I got there the University of George Washington the George Washington University's law school was just around the block mm-hmm. I said to myself since I don't have a US degree and uh, Having one would definitely increase my chances of finding a better job. Mm-hmm. It would be better for me to do a master's of law mm-hmm. instead and then start with my PhD. Okay. That's how uh, I ended the program. Yeah. And what made you think that having a U.S. degree would increase your chances of getting a job? Uh, it's basically the fact that, you know, when you arrive in a country like this with a different system, Mm-hmm. And uh, you want to learn about the society, about how people behave, about how the culture, what the culture is. It's always good to, to go in their schools. And uh, also, I had noticed that American employers uh, would look at people with U.S. degrees first before they look at people with foreign degrees. Mm-hmm. And in order to show them that I have a good understanding of how the culture is and how and show them that I studied in the U.S. I thought it was good to uh, to sign up for a program. Right. Yeah. So while you're, um, you know, you're moving from Cameroon to South Africa, South Africa to the U.S., and then, you know, once you're in Iowa and moving to D.C., what was your paperwork? Uh, I got a student visa to travel to South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, after studying in South Africa, I got after studying in South Africa. Of course, I extended my 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 status when I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, when I moved to the U.S., I got uh, an exchange J one visa. They call it exchange scholars mm-hmm. visa, and the visa or that status actually allows you to study uh, to work on the program mm-hmm. or the research that brought you to the U.S. Yeah, uh, but the, pro- the visa also comes with one condition. It says that uh, after your exchange program, you have to return to your country for at least uh, two years before mm-hmm. you can come back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I realized when I was doing research on that program was that it didn't apply to me because I was financing my trip myself. Mm-hmm. I was not being financed by the government of Cameroon. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I was not being financed by the U.S. government mm-hmm. through uh, 
one of their scholarship or financial aid program. Right. And also the program I was doing, which was an international trade law, was not one of the program that my country needed that would definitely require like a doctor degree. Mm-hmm. I mean like a doctor. So like an MD. Yeah, like an MD because uh, they wanted you to be able to go back and serve your country first before you can return. Right. So when I found out that I was not one of those, I wrote to the immigration to ask for a waiver. The waiver gave me the opportunity to be able to change my status in the U.S. Mm. So when I got the waiver, I didn't change my status, of course. And I moved to Washington, D.C. to work with the World Bank. And uh, Wait, so you did you get the waiver after you had gotten the job at the World Bank? or Before. Before? Right. That was, it was before. And uh, in fact, it contributed in me getting a visa to work at the World Bank because uh, I was not that requirement of going back to your country for two years did not apply to me anymore. Mm-hmm. So when I got the job at the World Bank, I left the U.S. to go back to Cameroon and so I could apply for the visa, the G4 visa to work for the World Bank. Mm, so okay. when I got that visa, I came back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. and uh, that's the visa that I've had since then. Okay, so how did you get a job at the World Bank? Because I know among the, you know, among the immigrant population, the population all around the world, the World Bank is a big deal. Right. So tell us how you got this job at the World Bank, the prestigious World Bank. Uh, I was lucky. Uh, when I say lucky, I mean uh, I applied and I got it because uh, somebody on the interview panel, I believe, believed in me, looking at my resume. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean by I was lucky because, you know, there are many people that are qualified out there that maybe does not have that chance to get to the World Bank, but I had got it. So what were you applying for? I was applying for the Legal Associate Program. They had a program for young lawyers or people in law school Mm -hmm. to come there for two years and then... uh, to work with the legal department within the legal department and to help with anything that was, uh, you know, anything that they were interested in. Mm-hmm. That's how I got in. It was the legal associate program, one of the different programs that they had in place. And I should also say that uh, a year or two after that, uh, they ended the program. They don't have that program oh, anymore. I didn't even know that. Right. So uh, I applied through the their website and. A cousin of mine that uh, I looked up to a lot, he had worked at the World Bank before. Mm-hmm. And because I was following his path, uh, I kept asking myself, how did he end up at the World Bank? And that's how I started doing research on the website. And I realized that it has multiple programs for young professionals. And I applied. Awesome. And so how long were you there? I was at the World Bank for about uh, four years from... September 2012 to uh, February 2016, about four years. About four years. Mm-hmm. But at, during that time, you weren't there just for the legal associates program. No, I was not. So uh, the legal associate program is two years. Uh, after the two years, when uh, they have opportunities to keep the young lawyers, they do. But if they don't, you have to look for some something else somewhere within mm-hmm. the organization or outside. 
So after the two years, uh, they extended my program for a few weeks. Uh, I mean, a few months. Your contract. My contract. Okay. Uh, and then after that, uh, I moved to the uh, uh, to a different department, mm-hmm. the business conduct, ethics, and business conduct department. That's actually why I am where I am today because it's why I was doing that that I realized that I was interested in something else other than practicing law. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after, so you're at the World Bank, you start out in the Illegal Associates Program. What type of work were you doing there? Uh, the first few months, it was basically learning about the organization, learning about the different departments, what the organization does, and uh, the multiple programs that they have. And uh, after that, I would start working on contracts between mm-hmm. the World Bank and other countries. So uh, if there is a financing agreement to be drafted between, let's say, uh, Cameroon and the World Bank, as I'm in the legal department, I will be working on those agreements, mm-hmm. working with the project team to, to develop the agreement and to make sure that the, the project and the agreement is uh, consistent with internal policies at mm-hmm. the World Bank right. and negotiate those contracts between the World Bank and uh, countries, I will be like the lawyer. So what are the requirements for working in the legal department as an international lawyer? Uh, you have you need a law degree and from a recognized university. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, while you're there, you're negotiating contracts, you're meeting with, I'm assuming, ministers from yes. different countries. Then you move on to a different department where you're more in an investigative position. Right. So this was in the ethics department. It was. So what was your work like there? Uh, making sure that staff are living by the standard of the organization. Okay. And so uh, the employees. The employees, mm-hmm. of course, and uh, uh, investigating matters of uh, workplace ethics issues. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it could be fraud, it could be uh, uh, sexual harassment, mm-hmm. or harassment in the workplace, and also you know drafting report. Mm-hmm. to advise uh, management on whether there was uh, a misconduct or not. Right. So this was kind of like a mix of law and yes. investigation. It was a mix of law, compliance, compliance and investigations. And uh, I realized that, hey, I love doing this better than uh, being a lawyer because uh, it didn't require... It, you, you needed to be thinking differently whenever you had a different case. It's mm-hmm. not like a standard thing you have to follow. Oh, um, like, are you saying that was, like, negotiating the contracts with the projects for that were getting financed by the World Bank, is it a standard? Yeah, it's a standard process. Okay. And uh, the, the agreements are the same. Mm-hmm. And the uh, policies that you have in place are the same. You just have to make sure that everything that you do are compliant and mm-hmm. compliance with those. But in this department, you have to be thinking differently each time you have a different case. Mm. You have to be looking at different ways of understanding the evidence that you have. Right. And uh, you could have same evidence in two cases, but have different conclusion because of the circumstantial issues that impacted on that. Right. And um, that's how I became more and more interested in financial crime and uh, started taking courses. Uh, to show that I had an interest in that area mm-hmm. and sort of getting the certifications I needed and looking for opportunities in financial crime. 
Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure you get this a lot. So is this how you ended up going from, you know, international development, working at the World Bank to <laughs> risk management, anti-money laundering at Wells Fargo? Uh, <laughs> Tell us about that journey. It's an interesting one. Like I said, I come from a family where I needed to be able to provide when there is a call for help. And uh, in order to do that, I always had to be looking for the next opportunity. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I am in a position and I realize that maybe this is not the right thing for me at this level, or I need to start looking for another way to to remain innovative and competent, and also to remain uh, uh, needed, mm -hmm. I had to start learning new things. Right. Yeah, that's how I went from... Uh, international development to uh, you know financial crime or maybe also I should say I went from human rights to international development uh, then to financial crime mm -hmm. and it's mainly because uh, I'm always looking for the next challenge and uh, also I'm a capitalist mm. uh, are you now <laughs> yeah why I believe that you know we should uh, support people provide assistance I also think that the it's good to provide resources so that they can help themselves because if we just provide grants and loans it's not always the, the right way to support and i didn't think that being in development was the right thing for me at that time mm, okay so you discover while you're you know working in the ethics department this interest in you know compliance and fraud investigating so you take courses and obtain certificates in that area um how did you actually land a job because you know you're you basically are going from one career to another they're kind of related but people really need the help in seeing the connection right right uh it's true it's it can be easy and uh, i also like to say that i've been lucky throughout my career because it's never really been difficult for me leaving one organization to another. Uh, it's Henry been... says it's never really difficult, but I was part of this process. Right. I'm not going to say that it was easy. Right. I mean, when I say difficult, I mean, I've always gotten the opportunity and uh, the chance to find a job. I know people that, you know, started the program together with me mm -hmm. at the World Bank that are still looking for, for jobs. Mm. And uh, I know many other qualified people who are out there who cannot find. So I say I've been lucky and uh, I've uh, I've always won from one organization to another. So to, to go back to your question, when I was uh, ready to leave the World Bank, I accepted an opportunity with the RICS. I was there for about nine months and uh, the role there was risk management and I was getting a foundation to, to launch my career in uh, anti-money laundering. Mm. So actually leaving the World Bank for that position was uh, was uh, a lift of faith mm -hmm. because I wanted to uh, to take that risk and say, hey, I may be here at the World Bank for on a contract for a year, but uh, I think uh, if I really want to switch career, I should take this risk. Mm -hmm. So I accepted that opportunity. And while I was there, I got a job at uh, Capital One to work mm -hmm. in, uh, on the anti-money laundering. And as yeah. we decided to move to Charlotte, <laughs> which is a long story, I, I moved to Wells Fargo. Okay, so you went from the World Bank uh, and 
somehow convinced Ricks that you have the experience necessary to do risk management, but because of your interest that was more so in anti-money laundering, you kept on applying and landed at Capital One. Yes, my goal was to end up with a financial institution. Mm-hmm. Risk, uh, RICS, uh, RICS, Americas, they had uh, a risk department or a policy department mm-hmm. where I could uh, do a lot, not just anti-money laundering. Right. And because I wanted to do mostly anti-money laundering, I started looking for other opportunities mm-hmm. where I could do only that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was Capital One. That was Capital One. I was there for about two years mm-hmm. and uh, working in the legal de- uh, in the uh, KYC department and mm-hmm. money laundering. What's KYC? KYC is Know Your Customer. Okay. So it's part of the anti-money laundering program that institution is expected to have in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, now you're at Wells Fargo. Yes. So... What do you enjoy about anti-money laundering and like what advice do you have for people who are interested in <laughs> in that a, field? It's an exciting field. It's an exciting place to be, especially if you have a law degree. Uh, it's very, uh, it can be challenging because mm-hmm. you always have to think differently when you're looking at a customer. And uh, my role is to... Uh, to work on commercial customers and drafting memos and uh, ensuring that we have a good understanding of the risk that they bring to the organization and making sure that you know we are comfortable having them as customers. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's a it's a very exciting and the Wells Fargo is a great place to be. So I'm really happy to be there. Yeah, I'm happy that you're happy to be there. So one thing I noticed about, you know, your journey is that you're someone who has evolved and reinvented themselves. Um, And I know from, you know, being married to you that, (laughs) you know, our path to getting here, it hasn't always been straightforward or an easy one. Um, So you're also someone who's known how to really create those opportunities. So, like, when you look back, what lessons do you see? Like, what challenges did you have? What lessons did you learn for them, from them? And what advice do you have for others who, you know, might be in, like, Cameroon or maybe they're in Peru and they're thinking, like, I need to make something of myself. And Yeah, a lot of challenges uh, coming from a poor family. Uh subsistence farmers mm-hmm. uh, to where I am today it's been a lot of luck and a lot of hard work and a lot of uh, help uh, one thing I didn't mention when I was in South Africa was uh, somebody who just came from nowhere he helped me without you know me asking mm-hmm. uh, an Australian friend that uh, Peter Peter English yeah. That I miss. I don't know where he is today because uh, we lost touch the last time he was in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been trying to get back in touch with him since then. I owed him some money, which I paid off. But after that, uh, I haven't heard back from him. And I hope nothing bad happened to him. Yeah, so he loaned me money when I was in, struggling in South Africa. He, I stayed with him for six months. 
Mm-hmm. I had no place to stay, and then you know I was a student, and so he took me into his ha- in his house, and uh, he was a tourist in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And when he was leaving the country, he sent me my, he gave me money to uh, to get a home at the university. Mm-hmm. That's how uh, I was able to get a home at the university. So, um, and also when it comes to the U.S., I got help from many people, mm-hmm. including you. <laughs> but before I get to that. I should say that the the challenge was mostly, uh, you know, showing people that uh, I could do anything and that I had the skills, I had the background, I had mm-hmm. the experience, and of course I had to to practice and work on my English to perfect it. It's not perfect today, but I'm still, you know, on a daily basis working to improve mm-hmm. my communication skills, which is very important, and uh, you know. People should also know that when you have a degree from outside the U.S., you should not abandon it when you get here to start something completely new. Like uh, if you had a law degree, like me, I've always, oh, I had always wanted to be a lawyer to work in that field. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, I've seen people who have law degrees and they come here, they completely abandon that and mm-hmm. they do something completely different, like uh, going the, to be a nurse, which is a great career. Right, but most of the time it's because uh, they didn't get the right advice. Mm-hmm. So stick to your guns and uh, do uh, what you want to do because in this country you can do whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when you're looking for a job, you always have to understand that it's good to create a network. If you don't have, at the World Bank, I didn't know anybody in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody. I got there. But when I got there, I realized that, you know, in order to succeed and to make yourself a, to progress, you need to create a network. Right. And uh, networking then became one thing that uh, I think today I do very well, especially using LinkedIn. Uh, from Capital One to Wells Fargo, I reached out to someone uh, on LinkedIn. I said, hey, my family is moving to, to Washington, to Charlotte, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and I'm looking for something challenging in the area that, you know, is within my area of expertise. And uh, they introduced me to somebody who helped them, an HR person in the past. And the HR person also looked at my profile and introduced me to other people. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to, to, to trust in yourself and to... Uh, to not abandon things that you've learned in the past and to remain positive. When mm-hmm. somebody is negative around me, uh, I change and then I just look for positive energy because I don't want to be uh, to be negative. Right. Yeah. Well, Henry, thank you for all that information, for sharing your story, for all the advice. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners? Uh. No, I'll just say this is a great opportunity to, to share my story and to tell people that uh, you can be successful in this country or any other country that you go to coming from a humble or poor background and that you have to work hard and uh, to be surround yourself with positive energies and uh, to you know understand that uh, there is a chance or an opportunity for everyone out there. You just mm-hmm. need to to know how to 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 make it work in your favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it definitely sounds like you know when you have that positive attitude and the drive 
and you create a support system around you, you can really get somewhere. Yeah, and always try to do things the right way. That's right. <laughs> Anyways, guys, thanks for listening, and um, we hope you, you know, take some gems from the stories you've heard and you will be hearing. Have a great one.